this, and I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter number 18. Uh, we're going to just, just continue from where we stopped last week and uh, uh, continue in this particular chapter. Uh, but I want you to do me a favor. You know the drill. Uh, if you're watching, I'd sure love to know you're out there. And just type in your name and where you're watching from. And, uh, and also hit that share button. If you don't mind, hit that share button. Uh, uh, every day that goes by... I believe with all my heart, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the less and less uh, opportunity we're going to have to get the word out. Uh, things, are be, things are happening in this country right now I would have never dreamed would have happened. So let's get it out while we still can, okay? So hit that share button, uh, type in your name, where you're watching from, and uh, we'll get started today. All right, Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18, uh, we're dealing with a subject, uh, we, we started it, it back into Matthew, we've been going through the book of Matthew for quite a while now, and last week we learned that Jesus was teaching the disciples how to get along, and there were several things we learned last week, the importance of humility, uh, you'll never be able to get along being arrogant, you just never will, you got to have humility, uh, you got to be able to uh, have a process of making things right when things have gone wrong. He gave them step-by-step uh, uh, lessons on what to do when you've been wronged and what to do about it in the church uh, uh, with your brethren. But then he finished up uh, with probably the most important part of getting along. It's the subject of forgiveness. You'll never, ever get along with anybody for an extended period of time without learning how to forgive. And so we want to deal with that today. And it's, I'm, there's no way, there's no way that I'm going to be able to uh, give you everything I've got today, most likely. Uh, so I want to try to go through it as quick as I can, but as thoroughly as I can. And, uh, and we're going to probably be in this a few weeks. So uh, I know there's a lot of people who are struggling. I know there's a lot of people who's been wounded, who's been hurt, uh, who's still struggling with their past, still struggling with things in their life. And uh, so let's just do this. Let's make sure we pray and say, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. What, what is it that I need to get out of this particular message, out of this particular series? And I guarantee you, God will talk to you today. Okay, so let's look in Matthew chapter number 18. We're going to begin in verse 21. Uh, this is the last section of the chapter and uh, where we stopped last week. Uh, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? How many times should I, should I offer forgiveness? How, how, how often, uh, 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 what is the limit to this deal? When, do I, when, when can I stop forgiving? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. Basically what Jesus is saying and teaching is that forgiveness should be unlimited. You should not even be trying to keep count. Then it says, Jesus tells them a story. He gives them a parable. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants... And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord have patience with me and I will pay thee all. He didn't even ask for a pardon. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He said, give me time. Give me time, and I'll pay you all of it back. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. In other words, he said the exact same thing that this servant had said to the king. The exact same thing. He was asking, expecting, hoping for the same thing this other servant was hoping for. 
And he would not. He would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he could pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also. Now now pay attention, pay attention. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know this is, a, this is a very, very important subject. This is a very needed subject in the time that we're living in. Please fill my heart, fill my mind, guide my words, everything. Lord, put a, put a hedge about me. Lord, I know Satan is doing everything he can to stop people from hearing this truth and hearing this word. Lord, this truth can bring drastic healing and a drastic change for the better in many people's lives. Lord, I pray for no distractions. I pray that, Lord, wherever they're watching from, that they'll be able to focus and pay attention. I pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to, I want to begin uh, this particular study, this particular series. There's so much information. Uh, man, I've been gathering so much stuff that I, I believe is going to help us and encourage us. Uh, but I want to I want to start with where Jesus started uh, when he began to talk about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness with Peter. He started with unforgiveness. He started describing and teaching about unforgiveness first. So that's what I want to do today uh, as we go through this. Uh, and we learn about forgiveness and how to forgive and the, the aspects of forgiveness, what it truly is, uh, what forgiveness is not. Uh, I want to start with unforgiveness. Here we find this in this particular chapter. Uh, Peter is asking, how, how often should I forgive? Is there a limit to this? Can I, can I stop forgiving at a certain point? And Jesus tells them it's, it's unlimited. You should never not forgive. You should never not forgive. Uh, uh, we are living in an angry society. We are living in a vengeful society. We're living in an age of rage. Uh, just, just a few weeks ago, uh, there was a young man who was killed on a highway, shot in the highway because of road rage. Uh, we're seeing it everywhere we turn. And sadly, sadly, because of politics and because of division, uh, because of things going on in our country, the rage and the anger and all of this is not just in the streets. It's not just in the world and around lost people. I am seeing uh, uh, supposedly Christian saved people uh, uh, angry and vengeful and spiteful, speaking to each other in ways they shouldn't. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how we are treating each other because of what is going on in our lives and around us. You're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing it in traffic. You're seeing it in, in the grocery stores. You're seeing it, uh, and, and, and people want to say, well, blame it on the pandemic. It doesn't matter. Listen, the pandemic should not determine how we are as Christians. We are God's people, regardless of where we are, regardless of no matter the situation, we're supposed to be obedient unto God and do as, as God commands us to do and live as his children. And God has commanded us to forgive. And now in this particular chapter, Jesus is dealing with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. He tells the story. Most of you have heard it several times. Uh, the servant, the slave comes to the king and he gives a reckoning. Uh, he has squandered. He has embezzled. He has lost so much from the king. He owes, I, I, I tried, I really did. I tried to get the specific details of the amounts and there were so many different, um, different opinions about what the, the, the exact amount was and how many years it would take him to pay this back. But I, I, I could not get agreement in, in what that was. So let me just tell you this. 
the amount that the slave owed was beyond his ability to pay, period. It was astronomical. It was, he, it was at debt that he was unable to pay. There was no possible way he could pay the debt back, period. So let's just leave that there. The debt that the, the man owed the slave, the debt that the fellow servant owed the slave, it was a, it was a, a, a significant debt to the slave, but it was insignificant in comparison to the debt that had been forgiven. And so that's how I want you to see this. The first, the first servant was forgiven a debt that he could not pay. Impossible. I mean, it was astronomical, almost to the point. Listen, Jesus just wants you to see and wanted the disciples to see that this guy has been forgiven of something he could have never, ever in any lifetime pay back. Period. Forgiven. Cut loose. Completely pardoned. Owe nothing. Completely free. But then the next debt was something insignificant compared to what he had been forgiven. So, with that being said, he goes on and he does not forgive somebody right after he had been forgiven. And so, we're dealing with somebody who is living in unforgiveness. He's living in unforgiveness. And this is what I want to do. I want to cover three things. There's a lot of stuff in all three. I hope I can get through with this today. But if not, we'll just stop where we have to stop and we'll, we'll pick up next week. Uh, but I want to look at three things. First, I want you to see the cause. The cause of unforgiveness. What would possibly possess this man to, to do what he did in this situation and refuse to forgive a debt that was owed to him? Now, we apply that, we apply that today, uh, not necessarily a money debt, it could be, but we apply that to wounds, offenses that have come against us. When people have hurt us or something has taken place in our life, a tragedy maybe, uh, 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 somebody has done you wrong and, and this wound is there, this hurt is there, this pain is there, and we have an obligation to forgive that and to forgive them. But what happens if we don't? And why don't we? Why don't we? Well, there's several reasons I want you to I want you to to think about and contemplate this morning. First, we see the cause of unforgiveness. Uh, why would this man not forgive? Well, first, I want you to die. If you're taking notes, write this down. There was a lack of understanding. There was a lack of understanding of our own forgiveness. There is a lack of understanding of our own Forgiveness. Two aspects of this. Two aspects I want you to look at. Two, two different uh, avenues you can go with this. When somebody doesn't truly understand our own forgiveness, uh, this servant, on one hand, uh, listen, he, could, he, he did not completely understand how much he had truly been forgiven. And I wrote down in my notes here, what didn't he understand What didn't he understand about his own forgiveness? Well, first, the magnitude, the magnitude of what's been forgiven. The magnitude of what's been forgiven. Uh, When I hold a grudge against my neighbor, when I refuse to forgive someone that's wounded me or hurt me, then that tells me I don't fully understand the magnitude of my offense toward God. I don't truly understand the magnitude of my sin and my my offensive behavior and action against a thrice holy God. I don't understand that, that my debt was a whole lot bigger than anybody's debt that's ever come against me. My rebellion, my disobedience, my problems, and everything that I did against God is way more than anybody could ever do against me. You see, Jesus was bruised for my iniquities. He was wounded for my transgressions. Every stripe upon his back was what I deserved. It was my sin. I put Jesus on the cross. I put the crown of thorns in his head. I put the spikes in his hands and his feet. I put the whelps and the beating upon him. It was me. It was my sin. It was you. It was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. I'm telling you, Nobody's ever done to you what you did to Jesus. 
when you don't forgive and you live in an unforgiving state, that truly means you don't understand. You truly have no clue. You have no understanding of how much you have been forgiven. You don't understand your own guilt. You don't understand how much God has forgiven you. You owed a debt you could not pay. And Jesus pardoned your debt. So, when somebody doesn't forgive, that just tells me they don't understand the magnitude of their own forgiveness. They don't understand the severity of your guilt and the tremendous amount of forgiveness that was required for you to be set free. But not only that, I want you to see something else that's just a little different. Not only the magnitude of what's been forgiven... We're talking, about, we're talking about why would somebody not forgive because they don't understand their own forgiveness. And they don't understand the magnitude of their forgiveness. But then I want you to see this. This is, this is something that will stand out. They don't understand the completeness of what's been forgiven. They don't understand the completeness of our forgiveness. Now, now think about this a minute. I, 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 I sat there and I'm thinking, okay, how is it possible for a man to be forgiving, forgiven of such a great amount, such a huge amount, and then according to Scripture, he turns right around, and it's worded almost as if he left the presence of the king and went straight to the one that owed him, and demanded payment. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? That is insane. What would cause a man to turn around and go try to collect a debt after such a huge debt had been forgiven? Think about this a minute. What if, what if this servant didn't truly understand that he was forgiven? Why would you try to collect a debt could it have been so he could possibly repay his debt? Could it be that he left the king's presence and he, maybe, maybe the king will change his mind? Maybe I still owe this debt. Even though he had been forgiven, he still felt as if he was under a debt of burden. And now he's got this debtor's mindset and a debtor's mentality. And I have to go get everything I can so I can pay God back. Listen, this poor servant, this poor servant couldn't really believe the wonderful news. It was too good to be true. He couldn't live it. There's no way he could live it. He couldn't internalize it or accept this gift because he thought he was still under the weight of his debt. So the emotional tormentors of anxiety and achievement went to work on him. Notice that the first thought Think about this. The first thought that was to go and collect the debt from his fellow servant. It's as if he was still hedging his bets against the king changing his mind. It's so easy to understand that many of us are tempted to work and to make ourselves right with God, even though he's made a way for us to find complete forgiveness through his grace. Failure to truly understand and allow ourselves to receive God's unconditional grace and forgiveness will lead us into a life of anxiety. Our earner's mentality will take over and we will continue striving for God's approval instead of resting in His grace. Preacher, what does that mean? This guy didn't feel forgiven. This guy didn't understand that he had truly been forgiven. This guy hadn't accepted this forgiveness that was given by the king. He felt like he had to pay it back. He felt like he had to earn it. He felt like he had to do. Man, ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand when you got saved, it was nothing about you. It was all about God. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. Your, your salvation and your relationship with God is completely out of grace. 
That means unmerited favor. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be a great Christian. You don't have to read a bunch of the Bible to please God or have favor with God. It's not. Listen, your salvation is not by works. Neither is your relationship with him. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to feel bad and feel guilt because of all he's done and feel like you've got to perform to make God happy. There's so many Christians that are living in a life of burden and anxiety because they truly don't understand the forgiveness of God. They truly don't understand the power of the grace of God and the power of the blood of Jesus on the cross. You, when you get saved, God looks at you as if you had never, ever sinned. God looks at you as if you are in perfection, just like Christ, because it's not your righteousness that he sees. It's Christ's righteousness that he put on you. And many times we walk around and we're still burdened with our past because we don't truly understand forgiveness. We walk around and we still think about the fool we used to be or the things that we had done and and, and we have trusted Christ and asked God to forgive us, but yet we don't understand the completeness and the thoroughness of God's truly amazing grace and forgiveness. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, quit looking back here. Go forward. Go forward. His amazing grace is wonderful. It's just the word justified just if I had never sinned this man became a debt collector because he was trying to pay back a debt he didn't listen he had been forgiven now what's the point of that how how can we how can we say that in an easy term you cannot give forgiveness if you have not received forgiveness you cannot give something you don't have now, this is not saying that, it, it, that, that if, you, if you're living uh, with unforgiveness that you're lost. That's not what I'm saying, but many times it is. Many times a lost person cannot offer forgiveness. They cannot give something they don't have. But with that being said, a saved person who truly doesn't understand how wonderful their salvation is and how free and how delivered they truly are and how heinous their sin is that God has completely taken away. When they don't truly understand and feel forgiven, it's hard for them to offer forgiveness. So we see a cause of unforgiveness, a lack of understanding, a lack of understanding of their own forgiveness. Then secondly, I want you to write this down. B, because of pride. Why does somebody refuse to forgive? Well, pride. They're usurping God's authority as judge. Let me say that again. They're usurping God's authority as judge. Now, in this chapter, the Bible says the Lord, who would be the judge in this situation... He said, I'm going to put you in debtor's prison. I'm going to take your, you and your family and your children and put you in debtor's prison. And he asked for time and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll forgive it. Now he had the authority to do that. He had the right to do that. But if you keep on reading, you'll find out that this servant took his fellow servant. And it says in verse 30, and he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. What did he do? He put himself in the place of the judge. Instead of letting God reckon things out, instead of letting God sort things out, he made himself judge. He put himself in the place of God. Not only did he put himself in the place of God, but he put himself above God. Now, how do we, how do we apply this? How do we apply this? The Bible says, the Bible says in Romans 12, 19, Romans 12, 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. You hear that? Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath for it is written. This is why. This is why. Vengeance is, say it with me, mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Psalms 94, 1. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. What's he saying? Vengeance doesn't belong to me. 
Vengeance belongs to God. I have no right or authority to to, uh, initiate vengeance on the person who has hurt me or vengeance on the, the person who has wronged me or my enemies. That is completely in the authority in God's position. Look what it says, Hebrews 10.30. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, it shall judge, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, my soul, do you understand? When you refuse to forgive, you're holding a grudge. And that grudge becomes a vendetta. And you are thinking about vengeance upon the person who has wounded you. You are taking the place of God. You are putting yourself in a place that you do not belong. You are taking upon yourself authority that does not belong to you. Vengeance doesn't belong to you. Judgment doesn't belong to you. It completely belongs to God. That's why God says don't judge lest ye should be judged. You know why God doesn't want you judging? Because you don't know everything. You don't know the whole situation. You don't know all the details. Listen, you don't know what was in the person's mind. You don't know their motivation. You don't know their heart intent. God is the only one that knows that. He's the only one qualified to judge. He's the only one qualified to initiate vengeance. Not you or me. Listen, when we refuse to forgive We are placing ourselves in the place of God or above God. Don't do that. Please don't do that. We should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That's not our place. That's not our position. We're not qualified to do it. There are many things that's happened in life, many offenses and many wounds that have come. And and listen, we're only going by half the information. We don't know everything, but guess what? God knows every heart. God knows every intent. God knows every purpose and motivation behind anything. He's the only one qualified to bring judgment or to enact vengeance. So why do we leave someone unforgiven? Because we don't understand our own forgiveness. B, because of pride. Because of pride. We want to be God. We want to be the judge but then see, write, write this down. This is huge. Because of unrealistic expectation of others. Because of unrealistic expectation of others. What do you mean by that? Well, on one hand, he said, give me time. Give me time. Please give me time. And he received mercy. He received compassion. He received a complete pardon and was loosed of his debt. But yet he turned around and when this man said, give me time, give me mercy, he refused. You see, he expected more out of his fellow servant than what he was hoping the Lord would expect out of him. You want me to tell you why people live in an unforgiven place and, and they refuse to forgive? Because they got greater expectations for others than they do themselves. They want their sins to be covered. They want their mistakes to be forgiven. They want their flaws to be hidden. But they refuse to do that for someone else. That's hypocrisy. That's a hypocrite. Now let me, let me, let me show you something. In Luke 17, in Luke 17, Jesus said in Luke 17, Then he said unto his disciples, Now watch this sentence. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Watch what it says in verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, then seven times in a day turn thee again, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, what is he saying? He's basically saying again and teaching you forgiveness should be unlimited. Forgiveness should be unlimited. On one hand, he says, listen, guys, uh, offenses are going to come. You can mark it down. You can take it to the bank. It's impossible, but offenses will come. Somewhere, sometime, sooner or later in your life, somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to wound you. They may not even know they did. They may not even know anything about it. But you're going to face 
opportunities in your life to forgive somebody. He said, it's coming. You might as well, you might as well just mark it down, it's coming. But watch, he said, but forgive. Immediately forgive. Stop and forgive the situation. I heard a preacher this week, I heard a preacher this week say this phrase, and man, he just stood out to me like crazy. He said the church, when he talks about the body of Christ, the family of Christ, the church, the gathering, everybody that's, that's together, the church, now watch this, this is, this is huge. The church is just a collision of sinners. Did you hear that? The church is just a collision of sinners. Now, what was he saying? What was the point of that? The point is this, that there's no perfect people in here. There's no people in here without flaws. There's no, there's no people in the body of Christ that don't have issues. We all are sinners. We all are flawed. We all have mistakes and failures and flaws and issues. Listen, you say, well, I tell you what, so-and-so hurt me in this church, and I'm going to go to another church where I won't get hurt. Good luck with that. Guess what? There's a collision of sinners in that church too. I don't care where you go. I don't care if it's on the staff. I don't care if it's in the congregation. I don't care where it is. People are flawed. People are human. People are going to be, they're going to make mistakes. And Jesus is saying it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And when you think that you're above being offended, you think you're above being hurt, then you think way too highly of yourself. There was a, there was a, uh, uh, a general that spoke to, uh, I believe it was Spurgeon. I believe it was uh, uh, Spurgeon. And, and, and he said, I refuse, uh, I refuse to forgive and I ref- refuse to forget. And it, this is what the reply was. Well, I hope you never sin then. Now think about this, guys. Do you really have higher expectations for other people than you do for yourself? Do you really expect more out of others than you do yourself? Do you think people are going to be perfect all the time? Do you think people are not going to fail and falter and make mistakes? Man, there are so many bitter people. There's more bitter people in churches than they are in, in the world. In the bar, they'll, take, they'll buy a drink the next week and get over. Have a bar fight this week and be drinking together the next. But not in the church, no sir. They'll hold a grudge for, for 20 or 30 years. Families split apart. Churches split apart. You know why? Because you've got higher expectations for others than you do for your own self. You've got higher expectations. Unrealistic expectations. They hurt me. Get over it. They shouldn't have said that. That's probably true. Get over it. Listen, people are people. Dustin came in my office this morning and and said something that was just ridiculous. Still, Why in the world would somebody do that or think that? Uh, And and, and he just acted like he was banging his head against the wall. I said, think about it. They are people. People. We're made out of dirt. How good can we be? Listen, one of the greatest phrases in in the Old Testament, the psalmist said this, The Lord knoweth my frame. The Lord knoweth my frame. I'm so glad the Lord knows my frailties and my frame. He knows I'm weak. He knows I'm just human. I'm just human. And I wish we'd treat each other more like God treats us. I tell you what, I wish we'd just start treating each other more like we want God to treat us. Don't be unforgiven. Listen, you need to understand your own forgiveness. You need to understand the magnitude of what you've been forgiven. You need to understand that, that God hates pride. And when you, when you hold vengeance in a grudge, you're taking the place of God. You have unrealistic expectations for others like this man had in this chapter. Number two, I got to hurry. Number two, I want you to see the cost of unforgiveness. The cost of unforgiveness. Verse 31 So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. When his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And they came and told him the Lord all that was done. What's the cost of unforgiveness? What cost, what pay, what what cost will we pay when we leave people, excuse me, unforgiven? 
First, I want you to write this down. There's a loss of fellowship with others. We will experience a loss of fellowship with others. It says those around him that saw his behavior were very sorry. Preacher, what are you saying? Let me just tell you this. And just as blunt as I can and clear and simple as I can. Nobody wants to spend much time with a bitter person. Nobody wants to hang around a bitter person. Because the poison that is in them always leaks out. And listen, bitter people usually spew up on everybody else. Not even the one that hurt them, but everybody else. Here's the deal. Unforgiveness. Now listen close. Unforgiveness is like a closed fist. When someone hurts us, we hold onto our pain. Because we are hurt, we are less likely to reach out to others. We are more skeptical when others try to reach out to us. We close our fists in order to send a clear message to others that we are not open to them. Oftentimes, unknowingly, we isolate ourselves from others. The bitterness caused by unforgiveness makes us less desirable to others. Even if we wanted to connect, others will be cautious around us because of our pain. Unforgiveness leads to isolation because we overly protect our hurting hearts. Listen, when we refuse to forgive, it leads. It's, it's a downward slide. And one of the first things we see is we lose fellowship with others. One of the first things we see, we start losing friends. Listen, people, people don't want to call us anymore. People don't want to hang out with us anymore. People don't want to uh, uh, spend time. And, and we blame everything on the other person, yet we refuse to look in the mirror excuse me, in the mirror and, and confess the bitterness that's inside of us that's leaking out on everybody else. Listen, they heard and they saw what this man did and they were very sorry. Bitter people end up being lonely people. We lose fellowship with others. But then B, not only do we lose fellowship with others, but there's a loss of fellowship with God. There's a loss of fellowship with God. The Bible says in verse number 34, And his Lord was wroth. The Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Unforgiveness is sin. Make no mistake about it. There's no question about it. Unforgiveness is a sin. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us as we forgive those who are in debt to us. Unforgiveness is a sin. And the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I'm harboring sin, if I'm holding on to that grudge, if I'm holding on to that event, that situation that took place, Listen, that is sin and it develops bitterness. And I'm sitting here and God says he shuts his ears to those who refuse to forgive. 1 John 1, 1 John 1 verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him. Listen closely. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, listen now, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You cannot have fellowship with God when you're holding on to sin in your heart. God is light and in him, listen, is no darkness at all. None. None. We, have, we cannot fellowship with God. We cannot feel His presence. We cannot experience Him like we need to experience Him when we're living in unforgiveness. Not only is there a loss of fellowship with our brethren, there's a loss of fellowship with God. Then see, I want you to see this. There's an inability to worship. There's an inability to worship. This is amazing to me. This stood out huge. Look what it says in verse 26. The Bible says, The servant therefore fell down. This is the first time he was in the king's presence. This was the first time he was in the Lord's presence. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped 
Him. Listen, He was able to worship. Even though He owed a great debt, He was able to worship. But look what it says. Look what it says. But when He harbored unforgiveness, when He refused to offer forgiveness, He was brought back into the King's presence. This is verse verse 32 through 34. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O Lord, or the O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou hast had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. Not one single word about worship. Preacher, what are you saying? Listen, you, you can't. You can't harbor unforgiveness and hate in your heart against anybody and think you're going to come in here and be able to worship the king. You're not going to be in fellowship with him, number one, because if you walk in darkness, he's in the light. You can't worship when you're not in their presence. So you're not going to have fellowship with him and you're not going to be able to worship him. There's a loss. There's an inability to worship. What does Jesus say about this? Matthew 5. Look what it says in Matthew 5. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. You see that? If you bring your gift to the altar. In other words, you come to worship. If you come to God to worship. And there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come. And offer the gift. Preacher, what are you saying? God says, don't expect to worship him with unforgiveness in your heart. You're wasting your time. There's an inability to worship. He said, you come to worship, go fix your problem. Go make things right. Go do what you need to do. Go clear. Go clear your conscience and your heart. Then come to worship. And this is the scariest one and I'll be done. I'll be done. There's a removal of God's favor and protection. There's a removal of God's favor and protection. Verse 35. Excuse me, verse 34. We're talking about the cost of unforgiveness. 34 says, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. Say that with me. He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Watch this now. Watch what Jesus says. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you. He's talking to Peter. He's talking to believers. Preacher, you mean to tell me? You mean to tell me that that God's going to take away my salvation? No, that's not what he's saying. It has nothing to do with your eternal position with him, your eternal state with him. It has to do with your temporary condition here on this earth. When you're a child of God, you walk in his favor, you walk in his blessing. You walk in His provision. But unforgiveness is such a serious offense to God because you're trying to take God's place. It is such a serious offense to God that He will remove His protection. Now now watch. The word tormentor here is the same word that's translated torment in the New Testament. And that's used 18 times. And all 18 times... It refers to either the, 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 the suffering of hell or demonic activity where a demon tormented someone. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, that if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, that is such an offense to God that he will, he will pull back his protection and his favor in your life and he will allow demons to torment you. This is a big deal, guys. This is a big, big deal. What does that look like? What does the tormentors look like? Well, it manifests itself in many ways. Let me give you these quick things and we'll pray. First, it manifests itself in deep-seated bitterness. You become bitter. Bitterness is a root that's on the inside and it grows like a cancer. Bitter people, listen to this, bitter people are always ultra-sensitive, easily offended, 
constantly defensive and quickly angered. They are rarely the most likable people around and they will often find something to complain about even when things are going well. Bitter people are covered in tiny scars from head to toe and each scar tells a different story of a time when they were hurt by the world. Listen, this, this torment manifests itself in bitterness but then in distorted memories. Distorted memories. What do you mean by distorted memories? Listen, you have a... You have a habit of cursing the situation, nursing the situation, and rehearsing the situation. And every time you rehearse it, every time you rehearse it, your side looks better and their side looks worse. To the point that over time, your memories get distorted and you start remembering things that did not happen. You remember how good you were and how bad they were. Listen, You begin to be tormented. What do you mean by nursing it? Man, there's some of you guys, you're carrying your wound around like a badge of honor. You're carrying your wound and your grudge around like a security blanket. I remember remember a movie back when I was a kid. I remember a movie back when I was a kid named Red Dawn. Red Dawn, I really shouldn't even bring that up with what's going on in society right now. But anyway, uh, these kids were defending their homeland. And, and in one scene around a fire, a colonel walked by one of the kids and the kid was notching, notching, uh, putting notches in his, the, the butt of his gun. In other words, all his kills, all the people he had killed. And the colonel looked down at the kid and said, son, all that hate is going to burn you up. All that hate is going to burn you up. And this was the kid's reply. It keeps me warm. It keeps me warm. You know what he was saying? I'm holding on to it. And there's so many people. There's so many people. You're nursing it. You don't want to get rid of it. You don't want want it to go because it's your security blanket. It's what keeps you warm. Listen, we're tormented by hate. Hate builds up. We're tormented by anger, anxiety, addiction, trust issues, depression, constant fatigue, exhaustion, exhaustion. Unforgiveness requires our attention and our efforts. It creates tension leading to headaches, back problems, other physical ailments. It can weaken our immune system and make us susceptible to illness. Who hasn't lost sleep? Think about this now. Who hasn't lost sleep because our mind is rehearsing a past hurt or disappointment? A grudge can feel like a heavy weight strapped to our backs. While we might be able to lift it with little effort, continually carrying it around causes a great toll. He'll turn us over to the tormentors. This is not a way to live. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a way to live. I want you to, I'm just going to say this. Let me just say this and we'll pray. We'll leave point number three for next week. We're going to talk about how to let that go. How to deal with that. One is a decision. You just got to decide, I'm going to be like Christ. First, you got to repent of your unforgiveness. You got to get that right with God. That's a sin. That is disobedience. You need to make that right first. But let me read this and we'll pray. The mental toll of a grudge cannot be underestimated. Not only does it exhaust us from all the energy it demands, it distracts us from the important things of life. Whenever we spend time remembering what someone has done to us, we are not focusing on the things that we can or should be doing. Unforgiveness is a focus on the past. Whenever we are looking backward, we can't be looking forward. A grudge tempts us to fixate on another person. Now watch this. Sometimes we watch them more than we watch ourselves. Oftentimes we define our happiness based on their unhappiness. How sad. Oftentimes we define our happiness based on their unhappiness. When we fail to forgive, we lose a sense of clarity about ourselves and those around us. Listen, three things. Unforgiveness locks us in our past. 
We are in bondage to our past. When you refuse and you make a decision not to forgive somebody, it locks you in bondage to your past. Not only that, but it keeps the pain of the wound alive. It keeps the pain of the wound alive. Every time the wound goes to heal, you peel it off and you keep it stirred up and festered up. Unforgiveness keeps the pain of the wound alive. Then number three, it blinds us to reality. It blinds us to reality. It's been said that failing to forgive someone is like hugging a cactus. Imagine that. Hugging a cactus. The harder you hold on to your pain, the more it hurts and the more damage it causes. Not to the other person, but to you. The funny thing about unforgiveness is that the people who hurt you often aren't even aware of the pain that they've caused. I read one one place where it said unforgiveness and bitterness is drinking poison hoping the other person dies. Listen, don't live that way. Don't live that way. Don't live in that state. In order to get through this, you've got to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry for my unforgiveness. You've got to see how vile, how vile and wicked unforgiveness is seen by God. There is, there is no other penalty or payment or, retro, or, 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 or uh, judgment on any sin in the Bible like God judges unforgiveness. He says He turns those who will not forgive over to the tormentors. The reason why is because unforgiveness is at the core of the gospel. The gospel is all about being forgiven. You're never more like God than when you forgive. You're never more like Satan when you don't. I want to pray for you this week. I wanted to get further in this, but we run out of time. Next week, we'll pick up where we left off. But I want you to pray. If, you, if, you, if you're living in unforgiveness, first ask God to forgive you. Make that right with God first because the power you're going to need to forgive somebody that hurts you, you're going to have to have God's help to do it. So maybe, maybe what you need to do today is just get right with God. Maybe you need to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I, I repent of my unforgiveness I'm sorry for trying to take your place and usurp your authority. God, forgive me of my sin. I pray that you will make things right with God today.